0: You know it's one thing to to study something in a book and see how a principle is supposed to work in a book, but when you live it out and see how it actually works in real life, it's a completely different scenario right you know like having kids um people like when when kelly and i were we were expecting Hannah, our first child, I was reading books and I was talking to people and i was getting all the advice and information i could get you know trying to prepare myself there's nothing that prepares you for a kid until you have a kid i mean it, you can read every book there is on the planet and it just doesn't prepare you for it's three thirty in the morning you can't even speak coherent sentences and the baby screaming and you got to get up and handle business it doesn't prepare you for that you know so there's just some elements of life that you got to walk through and uh some stuff that you've just got to experience. You know, it's a journey that we're on. It's a journey that we're on, one step at a time, one day at a time, experiencing life and experiencing what God has for us and learning how to take the Bible and apply it to our lives. Because it's one thing to read it, but it's a completely different thing when you have to apply it in the process of life. It's a completely different thing. And I went on a road trip a few years ago. And I got to, I just got to go on the ultimate road trip. Like, if you're a road trip person, this is like one of the road trips that people would dream about if they're road trip people. I got to drive from here, Douglasville, Georgia. I got to drive all the way up through the U.S., up into Canada, up across Canada, over into Alaska, and all the way down through Alaska to almost the tip of the Kenai Peninsula. actually... Finished the trip with my family and I was there. We drove down to the tip of the Kenai Peninsula down there. And it was just, it was an amazing trip. It was just awesome. But when I, when I tore out of here um, to go to Alaska, the goal was to go to Alaska to get to my sister's place because I was taking a van to them. They had just moved to Alaska um, not too long before I made my trip. And my job was to drive their vehicle to them because it was going to be a lot cheaper to drive it to them than to have it shipped over to them, because uh, freight charges are ridiculous. So, so I got to drive their van on this trip. You know, it was, it was just it was so much fun. But the goal was to get to Alaska. But I learned along the way that it's not so much the destination that you're headed for; it's what happens on the journey along the way, right? It's the thing that happens in life. Like I took off to go to Alaska, but I'm. Like, if you ask me about it, I'm not going to tell you how awesome Alaska was in and of itself. I want to talk to you about all the stuff that happened to me along the way. And I brought some photos of the trip to show you. Um, Go to the first one. That's not the first one. It's got me and Kelly. There you go. Keep them in order. So this is me and Kelly. But what's special to me about this picture is this is me and Kelly in South Dakota in the Badlands, on my birthday, I had just turned 40 years old, and I still can't believe I can actually say that, I know you guys that are, are older than that are thinking, well, 40, you're just a baby, I know, I know, but sometimes when I wake up, I don't feel like a baby, because I'm 40, that's, that's when it all starts to happen, but she went with me, so she could be with me on my birthday, so from here up to South Dakota, she rode with me, and we had so much fun, guys, it was just great, and then she flew back home, um, after we had had a good birthday little celebration for me, it was just great. We were just enjoying each other's company. No kids, no pressure, no worries. It's just us and the road, you know. It's, look, sometimes mom and daddy need the no kids time. You know what I'm saying? So you, you just got to have that. And And so I got a little bit further on in the trip. Show the next picture. I got to see stuff like this. This is me taking a picture out the window because this caribou decided he wanted to own the road. And he pretty much owned it, because I wasn't messing with him. He, you can't really tell how big he is in that picture, but his back was pretty much level with the top of my window in the van. Like this thing was huge. I let him have the road, so I just stood there and watched. But I was coming around this uh, curve on the Alaska Highway, coming through. I believe I think that was in British Columbia uh, in Canada, I was coming around this little curve, and you can't really tell here, but I'd just gone through this mountain range, and the part, this part of this mountain came over into, like, half of my lane while I was driving, so I had to drive around the mountain, go around into this other lane, and then it straightened back out, and boom, caribou, just like that, so we had to put on the brakes and let Mr. Caribou do his thing, and I, I saw other stuff like this, show this next picture. Mr. Larry, yeah, those guys, they're big, that's Tatanka, that's Mr. Buffalo right there, Um, my goodness, there were so many of them, I, there was one picture, I I was going to show you, but I decided not to bring it, because I'll just talk all day on this stuff, Um, I was going down the road, and there's just stretches of roads on this highway, where you can just see forever, I mean forever, and there's no traffic. At all, hardly. Like, I would drive sometimes for a couple of hours on this road, wouldn't see another car, and then a big 18-wheeler would go by hauling something, and then I wouldn't see another car for, I mean, a couple of more hours. Again, there's just nobody out there except Buffalo. So I was looking way out in the, in the distance, and I saw all this stuff crossing the road, and I was like, what is that? And I got closer, and then I realized this a huge herd of buffalo. They're massive. And, uh, yeah, so I had to wait for them to... To clear out, so I could kind of drive through. You hadn't lived in too. you're sitting in a van and you're seeing buffalo just shoo, shoo, go by you. It's just it's crazy. Like I don't know how many. There's probably at least I don't know, fifty or sixty of them out there, coming down the road. It was insane. But I remember stuff like this. I remember show this next picture. I remember this one. This was a big one for me. This is the Northern Lights, and bucket list, bucket list goal for me. And I uh I was coming through the the Northern Rockies up in Canada on Lake Mooncho Mooncho uh, I think that's how I say it, Mooncho Lake up there. But there's a lodge there called the Northern Rockies Lodge. They got real creative with it. And so I stayed there for the night because it was like stay there or sleep in the van on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with all kind of critters out there that could you don't want to get Attacked by a buffalo at night, so I stayed at the lodge. Um, but that night, this happened, and I stayed outside till it was so cold up there when I was there. I stayed outside till I couldn't feel my fingers or my toes or my nose, like I got to the point where the, my ears. I was like, man, I'm flirting with frostbite here. I think I don't. Know. It was it was in I don't know. It wasn't. It was in the 20s, I guess. But I stayed out there so long, just as long as I physically physically could, watching this stuff. You know, I mean, because the lights would just dance. It would look like this, and then it would curve and go. And it wasn't just one area. It was all over, like different bands of of light just going. It was insane to see it. And after I couldn't stay outside anymore, I went inside and looked out my window, till uh, I I got so tired I couldn't stay up anymore. And then I just I just finally had to tap out and go to bed. But this was a lifelong goal to be able to see this, you know. And uh, finally got to see it, and it was so cool because the lodge was sit here by this lake. It was this beautiful, just crystal clear, beautiful lake, and. On this side of the lake over here, you just have part of the mountain range. And then on the other side of the lake, you would have this mountain range. And if you can look in the, the bottom corner of the screen, you can kind of see the top of one of the mountains. And the lights were just dancing over the mountains and over this lodge. It was, it was insane to see all of it. It was just so beautiful. And it's uh, just a memory you pick up along the way because it's not about the destination. It's what you pick up along the journey that you remember, and so I got out of that area, I went through the Yukon, and what, what's the next picture, Larry? I think this was, Yap. Yeah, those guys. Um, I saw some of those, and this picture doesn't do justice to how close these guys are. There were two of them. They're huge, huge grizzly bears, and the female Stayed right there in this grassy area, and she was like digging around for something. I don't know what she was digging around for, but I wasn't going to get in her way. She could just have it. And the male, when I pulled up on the side of the road and saw him, I just stopped. I was like, This is amazing. There's two grizzly bears right there. This is unreal. And he walked out to that tree line there, and then just turned around and sat down and just stared at me. I was like, Holy cow, I know I'm in a van. It's running. I didn't shut it off at all. It's like, I'm going to keep this thing running just in case. Like, I'm in this van. I know I'm protected. And this bear's looking at me. And I'm like, this is scaring the mess out of me right now. And so the female just stayed there digging while the other dude was just looking at me. And I probably sat there for about 15 minutes just watching this bear. And she just digging like that. And then she would look up at me. Like that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy!" And so we did that for about 15 minutes, and then uh then they kind of wandered off out into the tree line, and I had to keep going. It was insane, but I remember stuff like this. Show that next picture. I think this is the better picture. Yeah, that's her up close doing her little digging thing. They were just massive. It looked like they had. Like that hump on their back you see on t v like it looks big on t v it looks like they had like two thirty pound turkeys just sitting on the back of their neck. They were just huge, and uh yeah it was it was crazy, so I remember stuff like that. I remember this next picture. It should be a picture of i think it's is it yeah, that that's your average view through most of Alaska it's you're on the road and you see these beautiful just spruce forests. And then you've got these unbelievable mountain ranges behind it. And then you've got, like, down on the Kenai Peninsula. It's insane because there's, like, mountain ranges here and then volcanoes way off out in, t- in the bay. It's insane. Um, where they filmed that show, Alaska, The Last Frontier, I got to go down um, at the tip of the Kenai Peninsula right across the... Uh, the um, I guess the ocean there, or across the bay, I guess is, is better. Um, that's where the, the Kilcher family do all their things. So we were talking to the shop owners there, and they're like, yeah, they come over here all the time and eat, and then they go back home and do all that. So it was really cool to, uh, to see all that, but I remember all the stuff that I experienced along the way because life is about that journey. It's not about the destination of getting where you're going. Though we all want to get to heaven, we all want to be in the presence of God. You know, I want to be in the presence of my Jesus, but there is so much to experience along the way that helps make us into the people that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. And there's two words, there's two words that I want you to remember tonight. It's process and preparation. Process and preparation. Those are not fun words, like they're fun to look at, but when you have to experience them, they're not fun at all. But God will use life to put you through a process to prepare you for who he's called you to be. And he did that um, with his servant, David. David's one of the best. We talked about this a little bit Sunday. David's one of the best examples of process and preparation. Joseph is another one. Just an example of sometimes a process that you have to go through for God to prepare and open doors to get you where he wants you to be in your life and in your relationship with him. Um, David's a great example, though. Did you know that David... David takes up 66 chapters of the Bible just dedicated to that guy. 66 chapters of the Bible dedicated to David. 59 times he's mentioned in the New Testament. A big, a big focus in Scripture is put on David. So he's a pretty good example to look at. You can learn a lot. Of, I think we're going to go to David, and, and we're going to look at him pretty, pretty in-depth here pretty soon. We're probably going to do a series on him um, probably in a few months, just looking at his life, because there's so much we can learn from that. But David, when he entered the scene in Scripture, he was following a guy named Saul, who was king over Israel. Um, you know, Everybody knows David is the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel was a guy named Saul, and Saul had a way of just messing up all the time. Like if there was a way to not wait on God and just grab the reins yourself and try to make stuff happen, Saul was a king of doing that. He had that down pat. Um, Saul was always stepping out of the process and trying to handle things on his own or force things to happen. Paul or Saul was always impatient, trying to make things just ha- happen when they when they shouldn't have been happening instead of waiting on God, and and it cost him big time. But when you look at David. David, through the majority of his life, though, is the polar opposite of that. He's really content to wait on God. He's really content to sit in the process, especially early on in his life. Um, Let's look at 1 Samuel, if you brought your Bibles or your phones or however you want to look at it. 1 Samuel, we're going to put the scriptures up on the screens for you tonight, too, just in case you didn't bring anything with you. 1 Samuel 13, starting at verse 14. Saul pretty much train wrecked his chance to be king, and God had had enough of it. And so God went and picked another person, that person being David, to be king because he just had enough of the headache that Saul was creating. So he sent this guy named Samuel to confront Saul, and we pick up the tail end of this confrontation in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. Samuel's talking to him. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. What's interesting when you look at the life of David, one of the big things is this, is that David's heart, if you look in your notes there, David's heart belonged to God before God anointed him king. Samuel hadn't anointed David king at this point in his life, but God called David a man after his own heart. A heart is everything, especially when you're talking about us being in a process of preparation where God is taking us from point A to point B to make us who he wants us to be. And what's crazy is you never leave this process ever your entire life, whether you're 16 years old. 20 years old, 45 years old, or 75 years old, you never leave this process of growth and preparation that God has you in in life because it's not about the destination. It's what God wants to teach you on the journey. David's heart belonged to God before God anointed him king. The heart is everything because if your heart's not right, you won't be able to stay in the process that God has you in. You get impatient. You guys have been there, right? When... If, you're, if you get to the place where you're starting to have trouble with your heart, you start to get impatient. You start to get frustrated. You start to get aggravated. And you start to ask questions like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I have what the other people have? You know, why, why, why is God blessing this person, but I'm still having to go through this desert time in my life? You know, When the heart's not right, everything's out of balance because everything flows out of your heart and out of your relationship with God. Amen? And David had that. And that's what got God's attention and drew him to the heart of David. Uh, We're going to skip on in, in the story. So, God sends Samuel to anoint David as king. Looking at 1 Samuel 16, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now pay attention to this. He says, Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated, listen to this, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here here before the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. It was the heart of David that captured the attention of God. And I think sometimes this is where we mess it up in church just a little bit because we like to focus a lot on what people can do. And we like to celebrate gifts, and we like to celebrate talents, and we like to celebrate how a person can make us feel or how how well a person can sing. And God's not really interested in any of that. He wants the heart, because if He has the heart, He can bless with a talent. If He has the heart, then He can equip. And I think a lot of people miss out on the opportunity to do awesome things for God because we look at the things that we don't have. God's not interested in that because He's the God that can provide us with any resource or talent. Talent that we need if we had the heart he can make up the rest amen so all these guys start walking in front of samuel and he's not god's not impressed with any of them and we're going to skip down first samuel 16 verse 10 jesse had seven of his sons pass before samuel but samuel said to him the lord hadn't chosen any of these so he asked jesse are these all the sons that you guys have and he said, "Well, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep." Samuel said, "Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives." Now, I want to talk about David for just a little bit. Um, think about this. Think about the situation that David was in. Okay, when we think David, we think King David. We think the dude that took out Goliath. We think. Uh, we think. The man who is after God's own heart. David wasn't any of that, though, except he was a man who was after God's own heart in the beginning. David was overlooked, guys. He was overlooked. When Samuel showed up to anoint Jesse's kids, or to, to walk by to see if, if, if God had chosen any of them, listen to this, they had gone through a consecration ceremony, where Samuel prepared all of them to go in and do the sacrifice, where he was going to announce the person that God had chosen to be king, there was plenty of opportunity for Jesse to get David. Plenty of opportunity for David's brothers to speak up. None of them said anything. David was absolutely overlooked. He was overlooked. Think about this. Jesse, for we don't know a whole lot about him, but we can kind of look at other information and piece together kind of a rough assumption of where he would have been and the social status of the day. The dude wasn't really rich. Um, Back then, you were, you, your wealth was decided by land that you would own and mostly by cattle or livestock that you would have because food represented tradability and, and income and money and all that, and that's how the... Uh, the economic system worked back then. Jesse didn't have a lot of stuff. Um, he only had one kid watching what the Bible's going to say later was a few sheep that David was responsible for. So David probably didn't come from a rich family. Bethlehem wasn't exactly on the map during that time. Like, it's famous to us now. It wasn't on the map then. Think about this. David was the son of probably a poor farmer in the middle of nowhere, working a field with nobody around, overlooked, overlooked. I mean, David was a nobody. He was a nobody. And get this, he was the youngest of eight sons, which meant he, his whole prospect on life at the time was that he was going to get the smallest cut of what Jesse probably didn't have to give his kids as an inheritance. Working some pasture in the middle of nowhere, watching over some crazy sheep. Have you ever felt like that, though, and sometimes in your life, like you were just out in the middle of nowhere, watching over a little bit of responsibility, feeling the whole time like God has got something burning in your heart where you wanted to be more, but you focused on your relationship with God? But you go through those seasons sometimes, though, where you feel like you're a little bit overlooked. I know I have. Like, I see other people experiencing this. and I'm like, God, why not me? Or other people getting blessed this way. Well, why not me? You know, and, and it's all about what happens during those times that define who we are. David was overlooked. But listen, because God had David's heart, God sent Samuel to David. See, David didn't have to worry about working his way up into the kingdom to become king. David was out there faithfully watching the sheep with a heart that was after God and God sent Samuel to David to anoint him and choose him as king. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you feel like you're in a time in your life where it just doesn't seem like things are clicking or you feel like you're out in a field somewhere just stuck with a few stinking, just stupid sheep that you have to watch over, you know? Listen, if your heart is right, God's not going to forget you. If you stay faithful in that process, He's always going to send Samuel, whether it's Samuel through the means of a financial blessing or an open opportunity for ministry or for you to step into that calling that you know that God has on your heart, on your life. If you're faithful over the small stuff, God will always open up the doors. David didn't have to go kick down the doors to the kingdom because God sent the kingdom to David and invited him in. Amen? So, Uh, uh, It's powerful stuff when you look at David's life, process and preparation, process and preparation all through David's life. Uh, If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 at verse 18, a little bit of time has gone by since Samuel had anointed David as king over Israel. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God was with David from that moment on. Like David was different. There was something different about David. um, But David was still in the process of being prepared to be who God wanted him to be. Saul went through a rough time where God sent a spirit to torment him. And so he had to get some kind of relief. And so it was suggested, hey, why don't you get somebody that can play an instrument really good. And maybe that will calm everything down and you'll feel a little bit better. So Saul said, Yeah, let's make that happen. So he's he was asking who could do that, and one of the servants in verse 18 answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Now listen to this description that she has of David. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine and is a fine-looking man, which makes me think maybe that the servant is a she. Maybe, I don't know. Because he He can play stuff. He's brave. He's a warrior. He's fine looking. And the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse. And listen to this wording. Send me your son David. Where does it say David was? With the sheep. With the sheep. This creates a whole lot of questions for me. Okay? Because David was anointed King over Israel by Saul, or not by Saul, by Samuel. God had him anointed king, the chosen king of Israel. Whose right was it to sit on the throne of Israel at that time then, according to God's appointment? Who? David, David. absolutely. He was God's anointed and God's chosen. But he's out there with the sheep. Still, he's out there with the sheep. Still, this tells me that David had an an enormous amount of maturity about him. Because to know that you are called, and not even called, but you have the right to be the king, but God has assigned you to watch over the sheep for another season, and to be content with doing that, is an amazing level of maturity, don't you think? That's an amazing level of maturity. um, Because when we know who we are in Christ, if you look at your notes there, when we know who we are in Christ, we don't have to prove ourselves to others. David was at a place in his walk with God where he could do that because he had nothing to prove. He didn't have to strut around saying, I'm the king, bow down before me. He knew who he was in Christ. And because God had his heart, and his heart was to please God. He was content with staying in the process of watching over the little bit of sheep. You know, it's crazy because sometimes God's plan doesn't make a lot of sense to us at all. I don't know how it's worked out in your life, but in my life personally, it just hasn't made a lot of sense to me. How I, I know what God has called me to do like early on in my life and then to see the journey that he took me on. If I was going to do it, I would have done it completely different. I would not have put Josh through the seasons that Josh had to go through. And probably with your life, too, knowing that what you know now about who God has called you to be, if you look back, you probably, at least in your logic, would have done it a little bit different because God's got a way of revealing things to us and then jerking it back and putting us in a process to develop us further. It's weird. Nobody's exempt from this process. Jesus wasn't even exempt from this process, guys. Like, you look at Jesus from the age of 12 to 30, he just dropped off the map in Scripture. We don't know anything really about him other than to assume that he worked with Joseph as a carpenter's assistant on some side road in Nazareth. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, building tables and chairs. And then he comes out of obscurity and hits the scene where John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. He walks up and John looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The crowd stops. Everybody looks at Jesus. He steps into the Jordan River and John baptizes him. You guys know the story. The Bible says the sky split. The heavens opened up. That had to be awesome to see. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove onto Jesus, and the voice of God boomed and said, This is my Son, with whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. The Bible says everybody saw and heard this happen. Now, you want to talk about a great entrance to ministry, that would be it right there. Can you imagine if, like, if Michael Royer was called to be an evangelist, God decided you've done what you want to do in your life, but right now I am going to call you to, to be an evangelist, and your focus of life is about to change, and the sky split, and the Holy Spirit descended on Michael, and you heard God's voice, boom, this is Michael, my chosen instrument to be an evangelist. With him I am well pleased. I'm going to listen to everything Michael says. He's got my attention at that point. Okay, you got all that. We're going to pay attention. You would think that would be an awesome time to start your ministry. But the Bible says the next chapter that Jesus was led away, snatched out of the limelight into obscurity again to be tempted in the wilderness, fasting and praying for 40 days, tempted by the enemy. That's how God's plan works. Like, you think it's about to click, and then he goes, nah, nah, it's, it's time for a little more process and a little more preparation. And that's what was happening in David's life. That's what God does to us. Now, it's cool in church when we talk about it, but man, it takes some maturity, though, to be able to walk through it. And you can't do it if God doesn't have your heart, because the trust and the understanding and the contentment that you get from your relationship with God won't be there through the process, if you don't have your heart lined up in a relationship with him. So, a lot of stuff starts to click for David after that point, though. A lot of things start to change. Um, you know, it's interesting, though, when, when you read this, <laughs> this is amazing to me, in First Samuel 16, it, this is still up there? Yeah. Um, no, go back. Don't skip ahead of me, you little, you no, know, go back one more. Larry's getting crazy on the buttons back there. Um, It says, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Now, look at this description, though, because we pointed this out earlier. It says, he's a brave man and a warrior. But then Saul says, go find that son of Jesse who's with the sheep. How can you be known as a brave man and a warrior? If you're out in some field somewhere watching over sheep. so I read the Bible and I ask questions like this. How? How are you known as a brave man and a warrior? You you out there practicing like sword fighting while you're watching the sheep? You got that shepherd staff, you know, doing shadow boxing or whatever is going on out there? No, it's because while David was out there going through the process of watching these sheep, that's when the lion and the bear came along. Are y'all with me? he was out there going through this. That's when the lion and the bear stuff happened. While he was in the process of watching over and doing something as menial as watching over the sheep, God prepared him with the lion and the bear when he was in the process. Because it's in the process that we see the preparation for what God has called us to do in our lives. Now, if David has got all haughty and decided, you know what, I'm an anointed king. I don't have to watch these little sheep. He never would have run across a lion. He never would have come across the bear. And when Goliath stood in front of him, he wouldn't have been prepared because he wouldn't have had the track record to point back to that God had walked him through. David's life is a powerful story. It's powerful to stop and look and see everything that God did to prepare him along the way. It teaches us a lot about process and preparation. Process and preparation. So some time passes, and there's this big war that breaks out between Israel and the Philistines. And you guys know this. We're mostly home crowd tonight. You guys know the story. So the Philistines are on one side of this valley. Israelites are on the other side of this valley. And this giant named Goliath comes out, and he mocks the Israelite army. He makes fun of God, and he dares them to send somebody out that can fight him and just man up. And nobody, nobody comes out to fight. Like they draw up battle lines every day, and then they take a lunch break for the rest of the day. That's all they do. Like, they, they get all armored up and ready to go, and then it's time to eat a hot dog. Like, they just, that's all they did. That was, that's all they did. That's all they had going on. And then David showed up, and he saw what was happening, and then he heard what Saul was offering as a reward for the person that would actually go out there and kill this guy. And David said, Huh, that sounds like something maybe I could do. But then he ran across one of his brothers while he was there at the camp. And Eliab, David's oldest brother, in First Samuel 17, uh, verse 28, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those? Look at how he worded this, those few sheep in the wilderness. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. In your notes there, it's going to say not everyone will appreciate God's plan for your life. Not everyone's going to appreciate God's plan for your life. Keep in mind, Eliab is the first guy that walked by and Samuel said, Nah, it's not you. He got overlooked. He got passed over. And there are going to be people that resent you because of God's favor on your life. Don't let that shake you up. You stay in your process and you let God prepare you. You let God prepare you because the voice of the enemy is going to come at you and he's going to say, oh, he's always going to remind us of those few little sheep that we have in our lives, you know? He's always going to remind us of that and point to it. Why are you you trusting God? Why are you trusting God? Why are you giving? Why are you giving? Why are you honoring God with your finances? When I know all you've got is this little bit and there's never going to be more. He's always going to point to those sheep. In our lives, and David just kept on trudging. In First Samuel seventeen, uh, verse thirty-four, uh, David gets in front of Saul, and he has this conversation. He's trying to sell Saul on the fact that he wants to be the guy that goes out to kill Goliath. And Saul saying, "I don't know if it's going to be you." <laughs> look, look, look at the, look at what David says. This would not be my opening line if I was trying to convince someone I was going to go out and kill a, a giant. But David said to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When I heard that sentence come out of his mouth, if I was a king, it would have been over right then. Your great qualification for wanting to go out to kill this giant and fight this battle for the entire nation of Israel is that you've been keeping sheep? I mean, does that sound crazy to anybody else, or do I just read the Word of God a little weird? Can you imagine being Saul, and this guy comes up to you who's not very old, who's not battle-hardened, who doesn't have a lot of experience, and he goes, I'll go out there and fight this guy. It's cool. I've been watching sheep. I got it under control. That doesn't make sense at all, does it? But David's really quick to follow up with this. He begins to point back to the victories that he gained under the process. He says, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When a challenge was put there, when a challenge was put there, everybody else backed down but David. Because David had stuck through the process, and David was prepared for the battle. God had sent the lion, God had sent the bear, and, and it wasn't, it's not just a great talking point, it had prepared David. It prepared David because not only did it give him experience, but it showed him the faithfulness of God. And he said the same God that delivered me then will be the same God that delivers me now because I know my God. I know what he can do because I know what he's done. And if he did it then, he can do it now. And this challenge that we're facing right now isn't going to be any different than what I've faced before because my God hasn't Change when you stay in the process and God prepares you when you face stuff. If your heart is still connected to Him, that's the key. If your heart's still connected to Him and you paid the price and you walked through the battles, each battle is going to lead to a bigger victory. Do you understand me? Every battle is going to lead to a bigger victory if you stay in the process. And that's where David was because when we're in God's process, opportunities. In your notes, opportunities often look like obstacles. They look like challenges. They look like tough seasons that we have to go through. They look like difficult people that we have to deal with. God's process is that person you've got to work with that's just driving you crazy sometimes. God's process is sometimes the kids that don't listen to you. Difficult seasons that you have to walk through. Um, James chapter 1 Verse 2 through 4 reads it like this. This is one of the most messed up verses in all of Scripture. Just my opinion. Because it doesn't make sense when you read it. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Consider it pure joy. Now, when I think considering things like pure joy, I think of the the look on my two-year-old's face when she sees birthday cake. Like, that's pure joy. You know, consider it pure joy. Get excited. Get happy. Be joyous about the fact that your life is jacked up right now. That's what he's saying. Like, get excited. Get excited whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Ah, here it comes. Not lacking anything. Because there's a process that God uses to prepare us to be who He has called us to be. Be joyous. Be joyous when you lose the job. That's crazy. Pure joy. Consider it pure joy. When people lie about you, when people gossip about you, consider it pure joy when you go through the trials of life, when you've got more month than you do money to get through the month. Consider it pure joy when you're stuck in Atlanta traffic and you're trying to get home. I'm telling you, there are trials in life and then there's Atlanta traffic. I just want to say, that when God wants to grow Josh, he sends Josh through Atlanta traffic. That's what happens with me. Consider it pure joy, because we know that God is using the lion and the bear to prepare us to face Goliath. When David killed Goliath, that was the the, I mean, in people's eyes, that was the pivotal moment that catapulted him to popularity and notoriety in the kingdom of Israel that opened the door in people's eyes to create the pathway for him to be king over Israel. From that day forward, he became more popular than Saul as a king. People made up songs that they would sing about David. but He was the man from that point on. But for David, that wasn't the deciding point. For David, the deciding point was when he was way out in a field all alone the son of a broke farmer overlooked that on paper there was no possible way he had a shot at being king of Israel nobody knew who David was but God did because David was a man after God's own heart If you keep your heart right And trust God through the process. He'll get you to where he wants you to be. Because it's not about the destination. We focus on the destination so much. It's about the journey. God's got us on a journey. And he's making us into who he wants us to be. Amen? Amen? Amen.